1: This is Scott Becker with the combined episode of the Becker's Healthcare and Becker Private Equity Podcast. We're going to talk today about the the Office of Inspector General just issued new healthcare compliance guidance. We've got two partners, the chair of the healthcare department and uh, Holly Buckley and Tim Fry, who at one time worked for CMS, is also just a great regulatory and transactional healthcare lawyer. They're going to talk to us about this new OIG compliance guidance what it means both sort of for health systems, for private equity funds, if there's any takeaways that that leaders should have about some of this new guidance. Holly, Tim, why don't you take a second to introduce yourself and maybe introduce what the OIG did.
2: Thanks, Scott, Um, and thank you, as always, for having us on. It's always a pleasure. Um, I'll I'll jump in here, and uh, Tim will, will follow up. But it's interesting because I had a client come to me the other day and said, what is this guidance? I hear it's a total overhaul of the government's compliance guidance. What do we need to do? And I had to respond that really this isn't anything very new. Um, This is really just a repackaging of a lot of old concepts with some reformatting, emphasizing certain areas, and putting everything in one spot. But in reading this, this is all the same exact things as we've been talking about for many years now. I think there are still some definite takeaways from it in that the government's very focused on it. The OIG really cares and believes that healthcare organizations should all very much care and implement robust compliance programs, but a lot of the themes that we've heard about for a long time are still there, so I can talk about a few of the things that are the same and a few of the things that are maybe emphasized a certain way, and then Tim will jump in and give some actual takeaways and things that um, healthcare market participants can focus on in a compliance program, if that's okay with you.
1: No, that sounds great. Thank you so much. Tim, do you want to take a second and just introduce yourself too?
3: Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Holly. Great to be back with all of you on the podcast. Um, Tim Fry, um, work with Holly on so many uh, healthcare regulatory and structuring questions transactions primarily working with um private equity backed uh clients and health service client uh, uh, health system clients and of course um this guidance is important to both of those um but echo what holly said in that you know either some of this was in oig's prior guidance or candidly it was very implicit in some of their corporate integrity agreements uh for instance and i know holly will dive into this more. But the focus on having your board involved is something OIG has stressed for many years. Certainly, it's been part of their corporate integrity agreements. And now, um, in in maybe a more user-friendly manner, they have re emphasized that here as well. And I'll I'll turn it back to both of you as Holly uh, suggests some of their core concepts.
1: Holly, go right ahead. Tell us what are some of the core concepts here that people should be thinking about?
2: Yeah. So one of the things that isn't new but is emphasized is that individuals and entities who are not healthcare providers but who interact with the healthcare industry should be familiar with the OIG compliance guidance uh, and recognize that it really is an industry standard for compliance guidance, not just for healthcare providers. So here, for entities such as healthcare IT companies, um, healthcare private equity funds and vendors that are heavily servicing the, the healthcare industry, they should all have a compliance program and concepts uh, embedded within their organization related to compliance in a similar way to healthcare providers. And so this, this has always been true, uh, but it's even more, I'd say, important and expected now that the OIG has been you know, pretty explicit about it. Another one of the concepts that, again, has been there previously, but is emphasized throughout the guidance, is that of adjustability. And so what's right for a small physician practice of a couple of physicians is going to be very, very different from a large publicly traded company or a multi-state health system. Um, So very much looking at how big is the organization and therefore what is the appropriate compliance infrastructure is really critical and smaller healthcare businesses shouldn't feel that just because they're small, they can't address this. It's just the way that they address it can be very, very different. And the OIG has said that they're gonna put out a lot of toolkits and resources in the same place as this uh, general compliance program guidance so that market participants can kind of look to OIG as a resource for implementing these programs.
1: Um, and when you it's, talk yeah. to Holly, when you talk to large health systems or private equity-sponsored companies, how much focus is there today on these concepts like fraud and abuse, Stark Act, billion coding compliance, all these kinds of things that seem to get so much attention when there are so many big DOG settlements and attacks and so forth? And how much? focus is there today and all this stuff has become second nature for big health systems or it still has to be totally prioritized. And then second, along with that, with big health systems, so much focus on, it seems like today, some of the antitrust, but so much on cybersecurity and other areas. How do hospitals decide how much time and effort to put into the energy and these compliance programs? You're mentioning cost-benefit big systems, small systems. How do systems assess how much effort to put into these things?
2: Yeah I mean I think health systems put a lot of effort into these things and to your comment about is it second nature I think in many ways it's very it is somewhat second nature but also very ingrained within their existing systems um health systems have always contracted with physicians and have needed to have protocols in place to ensure that those arrangements are compliant with Stark and kickback. And so I think there's a lot of emphasis on it, but I think also with a lot of the false claims act settlements that have come out over the past 10 years or so, it is critically important. So while cybersecurity is a huge threat, or cybersecurity security defends against a huge threat, and antitrust is very much a hot button issue, this is something that has and will continue to be critically important. Uh, to health systems. And so I think part of it is, as health systems grow and change shape, um, ensuring that their systems still work across the entirety of the system. And as the nature of physician arrangements changes with things like, um, you know, with COVID, there was COVID waivers and as value-based care comes in and the new uh, value-based care um, kickback safe harbors, it's critical that those compliance programs are evolving and changing to meet the needs of the market as it changes.
1: Thank you. No, I think that's a great perspective. Holly, I cut you off on that question. You were starting to see something else. Could I let you get back to that?
2: Yeah, no, that's great. So one other observation is that the OIG will be issuing industry-specific program guidance starting later this year. And so um, while the OIG compliance program guidance um, Still has kind of seven core elements that are going to be the same for everybody. These specific risks, and as we were just talking about with health systems and, and stock and kickback and antitrust and, and cybersecurity, there's going to be slightly different flavors of risk to different sectors within the healthcare. Um, subsectors and so the OIG will be coming out with industry specific program guidance and it'll do a rolling basis release so that the different sectors they'll be able to kind of see OIG's views of the uh, specific risks and specific areas that they should be focusing on and this is again consistent with the historic approach of the OIG with its uh, sector specific guidance but I think we can expect to see some different sectors addressed more fulsomely in these next rollouts.
1: Thank you very, very much. Tim, some thoughts here in terms of impact on providers, health systems provider-sponsored, private equity-sponsored companies. Some of your thoughts on what we should be looking at here.
3: Yeah, and and just to join the conversation you two were having just a minute ago, certainly I think health system clients and private equity funds spend a lot of time and energy on compliance. It's, It's one of the things that we'll often hear from our clients, especially after a transaction is the additional resources they're putting in. The government, of course, only necessarily sees these organizations when things have gone poorly or when complaints have come or when they are in the middle of an investigation. And so they sort of see it from organizations where they don't think the compliance program has quite worked. And I think that's something to remember and keep in mind as they put that strong emphasis in place and re-emphasize some of these things, as Holly called it, you know, not necessarily inventing new things, but saying, no, we really mean it it's It's important for you know industry participants to recognize that and think in terms of right sizing for their organization this guidance. Uh, Holly mentioned it before, but Scott, you know something that I think we'll see a lot of in the next few years is. Just because you built the program today doesn't mean, Holly gave examples of telehealth, COVID, but I'll also just throw in, you go from a five physician group to a 25, there's probably a difference in terms of how much you should be scrutinizing your billing and coding and utilization review, let alone when you become a 250 physician group. So, so those are going to be things that I think OIG is focused on. I think they are also here in this guidance, kind of, again, making explicit some of the things that were in past corporate integrity agreements around compliance officers. OIG Bull says, we recognize an entire compliance function may not make sense for a small group practice. Maybe you just need a compliance contact. But on the other side, they say, especially as an organization grows, we expect compliance to be separated from legal or billing and coding or functions that within the organization may be making risk decisions. And they sort of want compliance to be independent and have a check on those. And so I think you see that kind of OIG trying to be practical, trying to give people flexibility, but indicate we really mean some of these things. As we've enforced separate compliance departments in our CIAs and other past work, we're sort of expecting that here as well.
1: Thank you very, very much. And Holly, anything you wanted to add to that as well?
2: Yeah, I think just in terms of that organizational thoughts, the other thing that's really clear in the guidance is the expectation that compliance starts from the top down. And so uh, compliance really starts at the board. Ideally, they want the compliance officer reporting to the board, but also an expectation that in you know bigger companies with a CEO, that the CEO is really setting the tone for the whole company. So this isn't about having uh, someone with a compliance officer title who has a certain amount of duties. It's about... Setting the tone of compliance at the very top levels of the company, and ha- having it flow throughout, and that's that's a theme that's pretty clear. And I think as companies, uh, whether they're health systems, private equity funds, healthcare IT companies, are looking and auditing their current state of compliance, it's not just saying what boxes have we checked, but it's saying how does the culture of compliance flow through the organization, and where does it start? <clears throat>
1: Fantastic. Thank you. And when when you look at chief compliance officers versus general counsels, can you talk for a moment about how those two roles differ? Do they differ? You know, some organizations, you know, Cleveland Clinic, I said a chief integrity officer, chief compliance officer, right during the general counsel's office. How do those overlap or, or differ in big systems?
3: Yeah, and I'll say a couple words, and Holly may want to jump in a little bit more, too, Scott. I think what you see from OIG is a concern when it's all under one hat, that the lawyer is being asked, and we're asked this all the time, is help us think this through to achieve a business strategy. And their hope here is, you know, whether it's an integrity officer or a compliance officer or a compliance function, is okay, you've made your best arguments, you've positioned this well, you've drafted the contracts. Now, let us take a step back and think about overall risks within the industry. How does this advance patient care quality? How does this avoid fraud and abuse risks? I think OIG's view is over time, as the organization becomes stronger, they really should be separate and it, in, in compliance almost serves as an additional check. Um, certainly, you're right, Scott. In many organizations, um, the compliance function has come out of legal, maybe has reporting functions, but like Holly said before, I think, you know, a key theme here would be to say, okay, we understand that different hats, but make sure the compliance function gets voiced with Compliance committees, or reporting to the board, or um, have separate trainings that's separate from legal trainings. How do we make sure we incentivize compliance reports? OIG gives the idea of maybe you give an annual award each year to the best compliance report given to the organization. Well, you know, again, how do we make compliance at the forefront of everyone within the organization? top-down, reporting up, um, kind of both directions. So I don't know, if Scott, if that fully answers your question, but I certainly, something we see all the time is that tension between pushing the organization forward, achieving business goals in light of the law, and then having that separate check that kind of you know, comes behind. I think that's where you see OIG stressing that and in, in, in suggesting that at least for robust organizations, those should probably be separate functions.
2: Yeah, and I mean, just just to add one point, and that is uh, on the adjustability point. And a lot of companies are just not of the size where, from a cost perspective um they're going to have a separate compliance officer and general counsel and often it will be an attorney serving in a compliance officer role who may also have legal duties and so while this is very much the OIG's preference there are a lot of organizations out there that it, it's not going to be the right fit for them to have those roles be fully separate and there are strategies that o- those organizations can use to maximize the efficiency of both roles, even if one person is wearing two hats.
1: Thank you. And where can people learn more about the OIG's new compliance guidance, or is there stuff that you folks have written on it as well? Where can people learn more about this?
2: Yeah, so we've published an article called OIG's New Compliance Guidance: Ten Action Items and Six themes for providers. If you Google McGuire Woods and OIG Compliance Program Guidance, you'll find that article. There is a link there to the Compliance Program Guidance, and you can then poke around the OIG's website and see what else they have out there. But all of this is available on the, Compl- on the OIG's website, um, along with the other resources that they're public- publishing as part of their toolkits.
3: And Scott, if anyone wanted to reach out to Holly or I by email or on LinkedIn, we'd be happy to give the link as well. Um, my email is tfry at and I should be easily found on LinkedIn as well. Be happy to share um, links to both of those if helpful to your listeners.
1: Oh, thank you very much. Holly, Tim, thank you for sharing your thoughts. OIG New Compliance Guidance, sort of a wrap-up of a lot of compliance gives and I given before, but reemphasizes the needs for health systems, private equity-funded companies, others to take compliance very, very seriously on every level, starting from the top. Holly Buckley, Tim Fry from McGuire Woods, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Becker's Healthcare and Becker Private Equity Podcast. Thank you very much.